You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. Uh, we're going to do a quick survey together in a, in a couple minutes. So if you want to get your phone out, your device, go to menti.com or if you downloaded the app, uh, we haven't done one for a while, but you can click on that. And while you're getting that ready, I'd like to tell you that we have engaged in a new time, a new era in our family. We are now a rugby family in the light household. Not that Christine and I play rugby. That is too dangerous. I will not play, but Zach is playing JV rugby for Churchill and Lizzie is playing flag rugby with the rugby club, mini rugby. And it's lots of fun, nonstop action, big hits in the JV and the mini rugby, it's pulling flags. And I learned that I do not understand the game of rugby. I don't get it. Uh, there's lots of questions on the sideline when I'm sitting there with Christine and she doesn't know either, but like why do they sometimes do that huddle thing and why do they not do it all the time when the whistle blows and how do you decide when to kick it and why do the players sometimes only pretend to kick it but just touch it with their foot and then pass it back to their other player and how do they decide when to do it and why did the ref just blow his whistle again and what is he gesturing right now? I have no idea and one of the other dads who is a football dad so we know him pretty well, we don't know any of the positions so we just sit on the sideline and make up the names of the positions but then I looked up the positions and they're actually more ridiculous than the names that we made up for them. And what I'm learning though about rugby, as with any other sport, is that the team is only successful when everyone plays their part on the team. If everyone wanted to be a Lucy, there would be no one to act as a prop. I don't know what that means, I just looked it up on Google, but it's, those are rugby positions. Or if everyone wanted to be a jumper, there wouldn't be any backs to pass to. Player position, Step up and fill when somebody's injured or when somebody gets beat by their player. Play as a team, and that's the key to success. Now, maybe some of you aren't you know, into sports. That's not your thing. That's great. You relate more to the arts. And so uh, what I want you to do for this survey question is to go back to your middle school and high school days. Some of you may still be there, your band and orchestra days. And you can see we've had some answers from the first service and from traditions. And if you're online, you can participate with us as well if you're watching live. We won't see your results live if you're watching later. But if you enter the code 52002977, you can answer the question, which section in a band or orchestra is most important? Is it the strings? Is it the brass? Is it the woodwinds? Is it the percussion? Now, if you're in a band, you know it's not the strings because you don't need them. They're not in a band, right? They're just in an orchestra. But which one is most important? And while you're there on your phone, if you are using the version, the Bible app, you can also find our sermon notes there. If you click on more and go to events, you'll find the Evangelical Free Church of Lethbridge for today, uh, today's message and the passage of scriptures there along with sermon notes so you can take notes. Now, Maybe some of you are really smart. That's probably true, but lots of you are really smart. And you know I'm just setting you up because we're talking about how to use your talent. You're like, Jeremy, we know that they're all equally important and if we didn't have one, they wouldn't sound the same and we need all of the positions, although the percussion is really taking over. Can you, I guess there are drum choirs and things like that. That's kind of cool. But so maybe the real question that we need to answer is this. Which section thinks they're most important in a band or an orchestra? 
clearly the percussion thinks they're most important there, right? And so uh, strings you got to represent here. I've heard, I've learned. I'm, I'm not a band kid. I'm not. I didn't learn an instrument when I was growing up. We grew up in a small town. There was no band in my school until I moved to high school, but it was too late for me to join at that point in time. I've learned that there is a hierarchy in band. And besides, despite what you see here, that actually the brass thinks that they're the most important and that there's a hierarchy within brass. Trumpets, trombones, tubas, <laughs> right? Trumpets think they're the most important in the band. And if you're in an orchestra, it's strings, violins, violas, cellos, in case you're wondering what the thing is. But we can see percussion thinks they're most important here. That's great. What's true for a band, what's true for a sports team, is also true for the church. We are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. We're winding up our short series here called All In, and we looked at the first week, what does it mean to be all in with your treasure? And Pastor Ken talked about money and how we use that for the kingdom of God. Last week, we looked at what does it mean to be all in with your time, our schedules? Are we using our time wisely? And this week, we're looking at the question, what does it mean to be all in with our talents? And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, not verse by verse, don't worry. You won't be here all day. We managed to get the first service out of here relatively on time. Most of our time we'll be spending in 1 Corinthians 12, so I encourage you to keep your Bibles open there, and then the other verses uh, that we look at will be on the screen, but we'll be looking particularly at 1 Corinthians 12. And we discover, as, as we look at this letter, that Paul, the founder of the Corinthian church, wrote to this church a few years after the death and resurrection of Jesus and after he founded this church in Corinth, that they've got a problem, and their problem is that they're valuing certain abilities as more impressive and even as a marker of greater spirituality than the other talents that are in the church. In the context, if we look at, at verse, or sorry, chapter 14, it seems like in particular they were valuing the talent of speaking a language, possibly even a heavenly, miraculous, spiritual language that we often call speaking in tongues as the ultimate talent that you could have in the church. If you had that talent, you were truly spiritual. You were the most spiritual in the church. And the reality is we still tend to do this, maybe not with the talent of, of tongues, but we tend to highlight certain abilities and talents as more important or more impressive than others in the body of Christ, right? The ability to teach, for example. If you've been around church culture for any length of time, you can probably easily name two or three at least famous preachers. Mark Clark, Tim Keller, Beth Moore, David Jeremiah, Christine Kane, the list could go on and on. We value musical ability within the church. If you've been around church culture for a, any period of time, you can probably name at least a few worship leaders, right? Chris Tomlin, Phil Wickham, the Gaithers, Hillsong, Bethel, Carrie Job, Chandler Moore. What about famous sound techs? Besides our crew, of course, right? Yeah, our team, yeah. Or, or ushers. Do you ever see them on a poster, like, come to this conference, this usher is going to be highlighted? No, right? Or, or what about our coffee crew? They're not highlighted very often. But we know, if we think about it, that our Sunday services wouldn't be the same without those people. They're important, they're essential to our, our service as a community. I remember when we 
first reopened our coffee bar after the pandemic restrictions were lifted. And, and we included hot chocolate. That was, seemed to be the game changer because all of a sudden it was busy. And people started hanging around and visiting. And, and I, to the point where after the first service, I worry that I'm going to be late to the second service because I'm having so much fun out in the coffee bar visiting with people and drinking coffee that I forget the time. And I usually have to start the first service. So that would be a problem. I remember after the first or second week that we had coffee, after the second service, I had to tell a few of you where the light switches were because you were just hanging out so long that I was going home. The doors were locked. You could get out, just make sure they're latched behind you and turn the lights out on your way out, which is great. This is awesome. But it seems that it kind of started when we had coffee. So coffee seems to be pretty important. And that's just the Sunday services, right? doesn't include those of you who volunteer at youth or young adults or Sunday school or small groups or Bible studies or visitation teams or meal support teams or helping hands or take leadership in prime timers or facilitate ESL conversation classes and those of you who come and help paint and build things in the church building. And that's just looking at, at what happens here kind of in the church programs and buildings. It doesn't include those of you who volunteer to cook at the soup kitchen and volunteer at Streets Alive to sort donations at the thrift store or the food bank who show up at schools to serve meals. And the list could go on. And if I missed what you do, I'm sorry. You are important to the mission of God. You're included in this. We are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you has a role to play in it, a responsibility for it. And Paul emphasizes three points in his teaching on talents in these passages, in these chapters. Unity, diversity, and purpose. Paul repeatedly emphasizes unity throughout these passages. For example, let's look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And then when he gets to listing the different talents that might be present within the church, he emphasizes in verses 7 to 11 that they all come from the same Spirit, the unity and then he reminds us that because of this, we are, we are one. Verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. We are the body. There is only one body of Christ and we are part of it and each one of you individually is a part of that body. Now I'm not gonna spend a whole ton of time on, on, on unity this morning. Preston spoke about this a couple weeks ago on the benefits and purposes of unity. Remember the oil that flows down Aaron's beard to the hem of his garment and the dew that flows from Mount Hermon? You can go back and look that up if you missed that sermon. But why does Paul emphasize unity here when he's talking about talents? Well, he wants the church to understand that our unity re reflects God's unity of being and God's unity of purpose. 
earlier at the very beginning of the letter, he reprimands the Christians in Corinth for dividing themselves according to who they think is the most important teacher or leader in the church. And then later on, he reprimands them for dividing themselves based on socioeconomic status, who has things and who doesn't have things. And here, he reprimands them for dividing themselves based on the talents that they've been given by God. And at the beginning of the letter, when he reprimands them for dividing themselves, he asks this question. It's a rhetorical question because there's an obvious answer. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? And and the obvious answer is, is no. And so Paul's saying, if Christ isn't divided and we're his body, then we should reflect Jesus. We should look like Jesus and act like Jesus in unity with one another. Our unity reflects God's unity of being and unity of purpose. Secondly, if all of the talents that are present in our church body and in the church in Lethbridge come from the same spirit for the same purpose, it means that we're not in competition with one another. We're working together for the same mission. Right? Competition is a continual problem in the church, in our culture as well, but Also in the church, we compete for prestige. And Paul reminds us repeatedly through these three chapters and through the entire letter that that God gave us every talent. Every talent we have in the church is a gift from God, it's grace. And that each one is equally important and equally useful to his mission. Paul emphasizes unity, he also emphasizes Diversity. He's really careful not to emphasize unity at the expense of diversity. Look at verse 14. This is where he says, we're all given the one spirit to drink, we're one body. And then verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Paul argues that diversity is necessary, and he uses the body analogy to prove his point. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We might find the idea of uniformity attractive. Wouldn't it be easier if we were all kind of the same, if we thought the same and emphasized the same things and kind of had the same talents and the same emphasis in life? And Paul's saying it's actually not attractive. It's repulsive. Imagine for a minute, If we were all just an eye, okay, like if you looked around, because that's all you could do is look around, and all you saw were eyeballs sitting in seats, and I kind of roll up here, somehow get the grit out of my eye because it hurts, and we just stare at each other for an hour because that's all we can do. Gross, right? I'm looking out imagining just a bunch of eyeballs sitting in a seat, gross and useless, right? It's useless. We need a diversity of talents to accomplish God's purpose. And so Paul says in verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Diversity is important. 
It's key to accomplishment, accomplishing God's mission. And, and we see the diversity in the list of talents that Paul includes in these chapters, the talents of wisdom and knowledge and faith and the ability to heal and miraculous powers and prophecy, distinguishing spirits, speaking in different languages, interpreting different languages, apostleship, teaching, helping, guiding. And, and the reality is that this isn't an exhaustive list of talents that are available to the church. There's other lists and other passages that include other talents, and, and even if we were to compile all of those lists together, most scholars agree that even that list isn't exhaustive. Your God-given talent might not be included on the list. This is, these are examples of the talents that God has given the church. And this is important. Because when I was a young adult and just starting out in my ministry, there was this obsession with identifying our spiritual gifts. And there was these spiritual gift inventories that were as common then as the Enneagram inventory is today. And in case you're wondering, I'm an Enneagram 11 with an eagle wing. I, I'm not sure I did that right, but that's what I think. But the teaching of these inventories and the teaching of the time, maybe not explicit, but underlying it was this idea that you couldn't really serve in the church effectively until you identified explicitly your gift from God. Now, inventories are useful. They're a useful tool to use, but they're not the definitive and final word because they're limited. You can't have an infinite inventory, a list, what if your talent isn't included in the inventory? Do you get a pass on serving in the church? Do you get a pass on participating in God's mission? Again, obviously, no. And Paul would agree with you. Verse 15, he says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. You see, we are often tempted to play the if-only game, right? If only I was a hand, then I could be really useful. If only I was an eye, if only I could sing like Ken, if only I could greet like the Allegallies, if only I could teach like Terry, if only my talent was included on the list of talents, then I could serve the church. Diversity is necessary. If we were all teachers, if we were all greeters or all singers, that's like all being an eye. It's gross and it's useless. This also means you don't get to disqualify yourself from service. Nobody gets to disqualify you from participation in God's mission just because they can't see how God might use your talent for his mission. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you has a role to play in it and a responsibility for God's mission. Paul emphasizes unity. We are part of one body given gifts by one spirit to participate in one mission. And he emphasizes diversity. We need a diversity of talents and abilities to accomplish the mission that God has given to us as the body. And then he emphasizes purpose, thirdly. If we're going to use our talents properly, we need to know what God wants us to do with our talents, what he wants us to use them for. What's his purpose? Right in the middle of his teaching on talents, Paul talks about love. 
in one of his most beautiful and well-known passages that he ever wrote. It's often read at weddings, taken completely out of context, but it's often read at weddings and most of us know it. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Why here? I think because Paul wants us to realize that the central binding principle for the use of talents is love. He says it right at the beginning of chapter 13. You could be the most talented, the most gifted person in the entire world, and if you don't use that to love others, your talent is useless and amounts to nothing. See, the quality of your contribution to God's mission is not determined by how talented you are, but by how loving you are. The Christians in Corinth were using their talent as a marker of spirituality and superiority. The more spectacular the gift, the better you were in God's kingdom, according to their reckoning. And Paul is saying that the best talents actually are those that help you love others better. They might not be spectacular, but they help you love. Look in verse, or sorry, chapter 14, verse 12. He says, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel at those that build up the church. This is his whole argument in this section. You aren't more spiritual because of the talent that God has given you. True spiritual maturity is using your gift in love to build up others and serve them. So being all in with your talent means that, first of all, you recognize you have been given at least one talent. As a follower of Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. And as a member of his body, you have a role to play and God has gifted you, he's graced you with the ability to perform that role with at least one talent. And he's given you exactly what you need to do exactly what he asks you to do. So the first question I want you to ask yourself is, what am I good at? And as a follower of Jesus, we do this under the submission of Jesus because we confess that Jesus is Lord. And so we ask Jesus, what, what gift, what talent have you given to me? What am I good at? We ask others because sometimes the Spirit speaks through others to affirm the, the gifts and the talents that he's given to us. What, what am I good at? And then we discern along with them and we, we, is this of the Spirit? Is this what the Spirit wants to say to me? The second question is this, how can I use what I'm good at to serve the church? How can I use what I'm good at to love others? Paul takes three chapters to get there. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, he does it in a couple verses. He lists a bunch of talents that were given to the church, and he says they were given to the church, Ephesians 4, verse 12, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's what I want you to notice in this verse. The point of your talent isn't just for you to become spiritually mature and reach fullness in Christ. The point of your talent, the purpose of your talent is to help the whole body become spiritually mature and to reach fullness in Christ. 
So how can you use your talent to serve God, to build up the body, to contribute to the unity of the body, to contribute to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is in the body and our community, to help people grow in their spiritual maturity? How can you use your talent to love others? At the family meeting that we had just a couple weeks ago, Tyler Lambertson, the vice chair of our board, talked a little bit about this. He said that one of the goals that the church or the board has is increased engagement. He listed five ways that they'd like to see increased engagement in this transitional process. First of all, step into love one another. Step into fellowship with one another by attending services and then staying around afterwards for coffee and hot chocolate. He didn't say that part, but that's implied. Step into actively volunteer wherever you can. Step in to financially support the church and step in to pray. And after his presentation during the Q&A part of the evening, someone asked the question, if during this transitional process, when we form the search committee for our next lead pastor, if the board had thought about bringing somebody on with some HR expertise to be part of that committee, and Tyler answered in a really wise way. He said, if that is your talent, offer it to the church. This is the goal that, they, that we want to see. Increased engagement, volunteer, step in to actively volunteer where you can with your talent, with your gift. This would be using your talent to actively serve the church and build up the body of Christ. And no, if you look at all of the talents that are listed in scripture that God gives to the church, HR expertise isn't going to be on there. But it's something that God gave to you. And you can use it for the good of the church. We are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. Each one of you has a role to play in it. Last week, I gave you some homework. I asked you to audit your schedule. Gave you a little piece of paper. What do you need to add in, decrease, increase, and delete? I don't think that was the right order, but something like that. How many of you did your time audit? Yeah, as many in the first service. Yeah, that's good. And I have to put my hand down too because it turns out I didn't have time to do my time audit. So here's what I want you to do. It's still homework, right? If we want to be wise with the way that we spend our time, we need to evaluate how we're spending our time. So I encourage you right now, if you have a phone, if that's how you schedule things, uh, set a reminder in there, set the schedule. Uh, you can have a little buzz of conversation right now, talk amongst yourselves with your family. When are we going to audit our time? This is your time. I expect to hear some little whispers going on. Silence, because nobody wants to do it. It's homework. I have no authority to give homework here, but I'm going to give you more. Okay, audit your time. If we want to be wise with our time, let's ask the question, how are we spending it? Secondly, audit your talent. What are you good at? What do you get excited about doing? What are you passionate about seeing in our church, in our community, and how can you use that to serve God and build up the body and love others? Audit your time. Make sure you take some time to do that. Audit your talent. There's a couple considerations as you do this. First, love is the primary attitude that we need to keep in mind. And Paul defines love in, in chapter 13. I encourage you to read that, but I want to highlight this one from verse 5. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
Love does not seek to build a platform or a pedestal. It seeks to build the body of Christ. It builds up others. So when I come to you and I say, this is my talent, this is what I think I'm good at, and I'd like to use it for the good of the church, it means that I submit my talent to you and you as the body of Christ get to speak into where it can best be used to build up the body. If I come to you and I say, my talent is teaching, and you say to me, great, we have a small group that we would love for you to lead, and I say, "Uh uh-uh, it's the Sunday service or nothing, then I'm not using my talent to build the body, I'm using my talent to build a platform and a pedestal for myself. That's not love. Love is not self-seeking. And further, there's two principles that we need to keep in mind as we consider that love is submitting to one another in this, even in the use of our talents. Principles of the kingdom that come into play here. We find the first one all throughout Jesus' teaching, but I'm gonna use uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 10 as an example. It's actually in the context of money, but I think the principle applies across the board. Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. This is a principle, right? Sometimes God gives us a little bit to do, a small task, in order to prove to ourselves and those around us that we're capable, we're responsible, and then we get entrusted with more. And then a couple chapters later, Jesus tells a story about a king who goes away to a far country and he leaves the kingdom in charge of his servants and he distributes wealth to them by giving each one of them a mina, which is about $500 in today's currency. So a significant amount, but not a mind-blowing amount of money. And when he comes back, the first servant comes in and says, I've taken your mina and I worked hard and I've turned it into 10 minas and the king says you've been faithful in you know a little now I'm going to give you 10 cities to rule over and the second servant comes in and said I turned your mina into five and the king says well done I'm going to give you five cities to rule over when we're faithful in a little bit if you can be trusted with a little you can then be trusted with more so we submit our talent through the spirit to the body which includes you And the body determines where best to start serving. It might seem small in our eyes, but I think the Spirit sometimes does that to ensure that our talent and our ability do not outpace our character and our maturity. Let me say that again just so it sinks in. Sometimes the Spirit gives us something small to start with, what seems like it's small, to ensure that our talent and our ability do not outpace our character and our maturity. And and on top of that, along with that, sometimes the positions and responsibilities that seem small to us may actually be more significant than we and our culture realizes or celebrates. Remember the Christians in Corinth. They were celebrating the spectacular, supernatural ability to speak other languages. That is the best thing that you could have. And Paul, through the Spirit, says, actually, Speaking just an intelligible word of encouragement to those around you is better. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 24 of chapter 12. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. I think maybe he's echoing Jesus' teaching here where Jesus says that the greatest in the kingdom will seem like the least and the last in our culture because love, sacrificial, submissive, serving love is the central attitude that governs the use of our talents. It's not self-seeking. There's a second consideration as you do your talent audit When you think of using your talents for the kingdom, we, at least I, and I think I'm not the only one, tend to limit our thinking to serving the church. What happens here on our campus? Where can I volunteer in church programs? Where can I serve within the church walls? And Paul is concerned about the church organization and the people within it, but his concern goes beyond that. We see it in this passage, but more succinctly and explicitly, in Galatians chapter six, verse 10, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially here, again, I think because he's echoing Jesus' teaching that, where he says, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So we have to make sure that we're loving one another and serving one another well within the body of Christ, but that is not the limit of Jesus' concern or Paul's concern. He says, do good to all people. He doesn't neglect the community. We see it here as well in our passage, uh, chapter 12, verse seven. Now to each one, Each one of you is part of the body. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the common good. Earlier we celebrated that we get to participate in providing snacks for Senator Buchanan's school through giving of our tithes. There's somebody in our congregation that takes that a step further. She's the one that goes out and makes sure the snack boxes are full. Her name's Bev Bellamy. And you could say that her talent, then, is shopping, right? Some of you wish you had that talent, and some of you maybe do have that talent. But she uses it for the good of the church, for the common good, actually, for the good of our community. And she represents Jesus by doing that. How can you use your talent for the common good? Participating in God's kingdom is not limited to participating in church programs or within the church building. How can you use your talent for the common good of our community? If your talent is tied to your work, how can you do your work in a way that it promotes good in our community? If your talent is tied to your recreation, how can you engage your recreation in a way that promotes good in our community? Paul makes it clear, you have a talent, at least one. And God gave it to you in his grace to build up the body and for the common good. We are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.